wouldn't it be awesome to own a bike shop someday? Well, I'm still living my dream, I guess, as an eighth grade kid. So you get to you get to do that stuff if you really go after it and have a, a passion for something. It's like make that your career because then you'll most of the time you'll always be happy. Yeah. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Eric Pushner is a guest for episode four. Eric is the owner of Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Take a listen and learn about how Eric made La Crosse his home and worked his way up from mechanic to manager to finally the owner of Smith's Bike Shop. Can you believe it? Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are. Welcome back. We are with Eric Kushner, otherwise known as the commander in chief of Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's has a pretty rich history of being a bike shop in La Crosse County. We're going to talk about that or in the city of La Crosse, I should say, even though we're across the street from the La Crosse County right, right. building in downtown La Crosse. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So here we go. Eric, let's get a little bit of your backstory on how you even got into bikes and how that's influenced your life to get to where you are today. Well, it goes back a bit, like sixth grade, probably. Um, more BMX. It was all BMX back then. I had friends that we were Groms riding around town in Marshfield. I'm from Marshfield, Wisconsin. And we would zip around, look up to the older kids who had dirt jumps down at this, a couple different parks in town. And we'd roll. Uh, some of them started to race BMX. I started racing BMX in eighth grade and finally had a, a decent BMX bike then instead of the, the nice huffies from the department stores that we would trash. Um, and we'd race BMX at um, our local track was Nakusa, Wisconsin. The old uh, landfill kind of thing. It was super fun. So that's where that started. Eighth grade, what was that? 88. Wow, I'm old. Um, <laughs> uh, so then we did that. And then we continued to ride in our local town and build a jumps bigger and just got better. Hit different spots. Started racing more of the Midwest at nationals. And you know, I had a couple friends that, one friend in particular that got really, really good at dirt jumping. Um, eventually got sponsored by Standard Bikes. Um, 
but that's just what we did. We, we got up, we rode bikes, we watched silly movies and we rode bikes, drank lots of Mountain Dew because it was rad and rode bikes. Yeah. So that eventually you, uh, you moved to lacrosse. So how did you find your way to lacrosse? So when I graduated high school, you had to go to college. It was what you did. Um, I tried college in my local town. They had a, a UW extension. Did not do well there. In the meantime, I started working at the local bike shop as one of the groms growing up. You know, I was always the kid in the store. And uh, they just asked, do you know how to work on bikes? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I didn't ever work on stuff with derailers yet at that point. I could do much, most everything else. So I worked there, got through my last year at the the extension and it was like, well, this isn't really what I was thinking. I was thinking of going to just a tech school for marketing. Um, was looking at Eau Claire or lacrosse, had been out West mountain biking, uh, like Moab and, um, uh, Colorado by, um, collegiate peaks and stuff once and loved the mountains. So for me, I applied at both places, got into both places, but lacrosse had these bluffs, which to me reminded me of Colorado. So it was kind of an easy choice. I'm like, I think I want to go to lacrosse. It's going to be beautiful. Came down here and didn't have a job right away. Just went to school at tech school for a few months. And when I moved here, I'd asked, where, where do you guys go mountain biking? Because you have all these bluffs. You have to have mountain bike trails. And I was told to go to Winona. And I was like, really? So it was weird. But there, there, there were obviously trails up in the bluffs. Um, more like Hedgehog and Twin over there. And I met the people at... Well, I started working at Vagabond, which doesn't exist anymore. They were the Trek and Gary Fisher dealer in town. And worked there just for the one school year. And then I went back home and worked at my old shop again. Came back for the next school year. And I was working at Smith's at that point. And that seemed like at the time, the more up and coming store. More of the people there were a lot younger. All road, similar stuff to what I was into. You know, and then I learned more about the trails. Uh, There's this place, Bluebird Campground. (laughs) which had a wars race. I didn't really know much about wars at that point. So I, I, from riding with these guys like Josh Shively and Greg Heath and uh, that group, Bob Marhefke, I would learn where the trails were. So we did that. We rode those places. Not very well. I didn't ride a road bike and my fitness levels, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to ride Highway 16 road out to the mall and back. And that was me getting fit. Things have changed. Yeah, things changed a little bit since then. <laughs> uh, but I still rode BMX. You know, in that same time, we started to get a, a skate park built, the cement park, down by which is now Luth Park, which it was Luth Park, but now it's way better. I also worked at Pro Skate, same owner of Smith's, had both. So I worked at both places, selling snowboards and tuning snowboards. And wor- I basically was just a, a wrench at Smith's, worked on bikes. Went to school, got through school, and... Didn't really know what I was going to do at that point. And at that time, uh, the old manager of the store, Josh Shively, was um, ready to move on. 
him and his wife had uh, their daughter, Ella, and he was going to stay home and be a stay-at-home dad. And I basically told the owner of the store at that point, which was Carl Johnson, I think I'm going to be the manager now. <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. I said, I mean, I, I think I'm just going to take over his stuff. And that's kind of what it started as. And cool. I really felt as though I didn't necessarily need to have my school education for what I was doing because I'd already been doing this stuff for a while. But I'm sure some of it's helped. You know, maybe a little more professional side of my, and that's term loosely because it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's what brought me here is just the bluffs, being able to be outdoors. And, you know, lacrosse is, it's bigger than where I'm from, but it feels like where I'm from as far as size. It doesn't yeah. feel like this big town. It's it's just, just a small town sort of feel to it. And I like that. Yeah. So we've talked about Smith's obviously a bunch because that's what we're here for. You want to give a little, just a little context about how Smith's, how long Smith's has been around for as as far as a bike shop? Well, it was before my time, just a little. Uh, Smith's as a bike shop wasn't called Smith's initially, but in 1895, it was a store and it was over on 8th Street by Lincoln Middle School, which everybody knows. At least everybody from lacrosse knows. So it started there in 1895. Um, and then in 1913, I believe, this guy who worked at the store, and his name was Joe Smith, bought it from whatever owner it was before. And I don't I don't know that guy's name. Um, and then he bought it, changed it to Smith's Bike Shop over the years. You know, and that's what's been Smith's Bike Shop since 1913. Uh, Joe Smith sold it to the Hayek family, I believe. Uh, who eventually sold it to Carl Johnson. And eventually my wife, Randy, and I purchased it from Carl Johnson. Uh, Carl changed the name when he bought it to Smith Cycling and Fitness. And that's when it started really building up speed and becoming a, a bigger store. Uh, it was always a Schwinn store. Yeah. or And that's what everybody says. I bought my old Schwinn from Smith's way yeah. back. And you see the old pictures of the old building and it was a beautiful building, you know, and um, it's a really nice apartment upstairs. And, and when I started there, it wasn't as beautiful of a building anymore. But, you know, Carl did, a, he did do a great job bringing Smith's back from the doldrums, basically. For sure. But then we moved to this current building. Which is in the corner of 7th and State and Lacrosse. Yeah, 7th and State. It's uh, bigger. We needed more space. Before that, Vagabond had gone out of business. We picked up the Trek dealership. So we were carrying Schwinn and Trek and a couple other small brands. Um, but eventually, well, actually, then Schwinn went to big box stores. They yep. bought, bought by Pacific. And that story just got too hard. Yeah. You know, why is your bike better than the one I can get from Walmart? Well, so we parted ways with Trek. Uh, excuse me. Wish. Schwinn. Schwinn. And uh, became just a Trek store. Um, we also carry like salsa bike, Electra bikes. But we moved into this building the winter of 2001, 2002, 2002, that winter, that transition. And I've been here ever since. And it, it's, it's done a lot for the store itself. Um, 2016, when my wife and I bought it. That April, we changed the name back to Smith's Bike Shop because I just I just like the sound of that better. 
Yeah. I like the old stickers that were on frames that we'd get in, you know, people are bringing in repairs and you see that Smith's bike shop and it just, I feel had a better sound to it as well as, as Randy did also. We stuck a bunch of money into the store itself to rehash it up to make it more modern looking and flow better, changed a lot of the, the way we do things and, um, and just really went after it. Kind of one of the things I wanted to do and one of the reasons I wanted to own the store and bring it back to its glory, I guess, was to um, kind of get in everybody's face, but in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you think of bikes and you think of where do you go in lacrosse or the whole surrounding area, it's like, oh, it's Smith's Bike Shop. Correct. I mean, those people there are out. They do the stuff, they race, they do community stuff. They basically try to help and do as much positive stuff for the community as possible. And that's, I believe we're on that track and are still doing that. Still look for new ways to better ourselves, try to team up with other local shops in the area to just bring cycling and bikes to everybody. Cause in the end of the, in the end of the day, that's what's the driving force to, well, healthy lifestyle and yeah, and being happy for sure. So yeah, it's I kind of don't remember what the original question was, what we were talking about, but we're just talking about Smiths. Yeah, but but we we're just talking about the early days of Smiths and how it came yeah. up, and and we co- you you did a really good job covering that. So well, so kind of back to my a little bit back of the backstory. Yeah. So I I I get asked by the one of the rec professors at uwl to come sit on a panel and um you sit there with three or four other business owners or people that work in different departments of like rec or whatever Mm -hmm. like and uh the kids in the class get to ask questions most of these kids are just reading off the list that um the teachers provided so they'll be like the question is well what got you into the business you're into or why are you doing this and my answer all, all the time is in reality, I'm living the dream of my eighth grade self. Yeah. You know, in eighth grade and we started riding BMX and we we're getting serious into racing and it was so fun and there's no worries. It's always like, wouldn't it be awesome to own a bike shop someday? Well, I'm still are. living my dream, I guess, as an eighth grade kid. So you get to, you get to do that stuff. If you really go after it and have a, a passion for something, it's like make that your career because then you'll most of the time you'll always be happy. Yeah. Yeah. It still is work, but more, but it's, it's good. definitely a lot more work than I realized in eighth grade. <laughs> you're but, not just hitting dirt jumps all day long? No, you're not hitting dirt jumps all day long. But you can go into your backyard and hit I can. the paved pump track. I can, yes. I do have a paved pump track in my backyard. It's the neighborhood hit most people get pools you get paved pump tracks right you get paved pump tracks i have a four-year-old now uh she rips that thing i had a a good friend of mine um we bought a house it needed landscaping we built t- the house we built a house uh we decided that the landscaping should incorporate a pump track I've, i i was on instagram i would see lots of pictures of these people's backyards with these smaller pump tracks and just manicured and just looked, looked really nice. Yeah. So I talked to my friend Jed Olson and uh, my friend 
Judson Steinbeck, both own two different companies. One's a landscaper, one's a trail builder. And I'm like, can we make this work? It, and I said, this has to look pretty. Yeah. It, it has to. Otherwise, it can't happen. So the, the initial rendition looked really nice. Um, still waiting for the grass to grow around it, blah, blah, blah. And then we got one of those storms that we get in this particular <laughs> area that likes to bring half the bluff down and uh, it trenched, trenched all the dirt and it was a lot of work resurfacing it and getting it nice. And this was still dirt. So we dealt with that for the first year and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm sticking eight hours a week on this thing and I don't have time to do that. So I'm talking to Jed, I'm like, and he built Luth Park, which was an amazing place for kids, something that this community needed and it's, it's awesome. So he's like, well, would you ever think of asphalting your, your pump track? I'm like, yeah, how much? So you gave me a smoking deal because he just wanted more experience with his people. Yeah. Bring us to the next year. Boom. I have a paved pump track in my backyard. I don't have to do any maintenance on it. I can ride it in the wintertime. I can ride it when it's raining out. And it looks awesome. Yeah. So one of the one of the more prevalent topics we've had here that's kind of themes, I should say, is is fun. Throughout your time at Smith's. Um, you guys have done a couple different things that most shops or most businesses even probably wouldn't do. Um, one of those things being the ramp car. Sure. All right. So this is before we were in this building. We're at the old 8th Street building. Uh, I mean, at that time, I did ride some mountain bikes, but primarily still a BMXer pre-ACL surgery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we would be in the lacrosse. Uh, Oktoberfest parade and at the time we'd gotten this eight person bicycle which was basically an old Harley Davidson cut up and just modified to be this eight person bike and uh, we got it from I believe the Shriners out of Sparta we totally painted it overhauled it and um, we would be in the parade and it was awesome and that thing is not easy to drive there's only like a handful of us that actually have steered this thing and it's Sounds like it's this amazing fun time, but it's this amazing fun time for seven of the people behind the guy steering this thing. <laughs> it's a lot of work. So the next year after our first year of that, we're like, well, let's build a ramp and um, we could set it up and we could jump during this parade and just do tricks and stuff for the people. Right. So we did that a year. We had a ramp that we had used. It had wheels on it. We had all the new groms of the area, some of the skaters, some of the bikers pushing this ramp for us. This run our BMX bikes. We'd flip them down and we had a, a, uh, an eight foot long two by four. So we always knew the distance was the same. And we'd set that and we blasted it. But needless to say, the Oktoberfest parade officials weren't happy with us. We may have taken way too long and made too big a gap. <laughs> Uh, the kids weren't pushing fast enough. They weren't pushing fast enough. We were jumping too much, whatever. But everybody loved it. I mean, they were the crowd was crazy, right? Granted, most of the crowd was in the bag. Yeah. But they <laughs> loved it. That's all that matters. So then the next year, like, okay, we got to be faster. So my friend Kevin had this old, I believe, a Mercury Topaz. So we were thinking, how can we improve this? 
So we built a frame that would surround this car and the front of it had a landing, huge landing with a flip down front and it would drag the takeoff. So we had a car with this ramp around it. And it, I remember Dan Novak would drive it. He built this ledge on the end and he would be hanging out this car with his legs because dude's tall. like a hundred feet tall. So he could reach the pedals and everything still sitting out of this car. And we would drive it, stop, flip down the front, and bam, we're hitting this jump. Again, everyone's just loving this thing and crazy. We were a lot faster, so they weren't as upset with us. But that thing was pretty awesome. But because of that and there's all these people always seeing us doing our BMX stuff on it, we would be asked to do other freestyle shows at other places. Like we had Riverfest. We were always there for Riverfest doing different freestyle shows. We had a couple of guys that did flatland tricks and those of us that rode the, the, the jump, we would do that. Um, we'd travel to other communities, like probably three or four other communities throughout the area and have different shows every summer for a couple of years. And it was fun. And then one day an employee of the store who was done at that time, stole the ramp car and moved to Colorado. <laughs> With like drove the car. Well, with it, the didn't ramp ha- on it, it didn't have the ramp on it, so the <laughs> okay. ramp, the, the, the frame was off at that point. But all of a sudden, that was gone, and we're like, "Well, crap!" <laughs> and then we built a new one, a, a much bigger one, um, out of a, a pickup truck. We like removed the bed, and, and this landing was just huge. But yeah, then and then eventually we're we're just out of the parade, and we're just like, ah, uh, we just weren't doing it anymore, and. It ran its course. It ran its course. It would be fun to do again, but we'd have to find some more BMXers to launch some ramps, but it would be super fun. Yeah. So fun is definitely one of the themes with, uh, with Smith's bike shop on to some of the stuff, like some of the lines you guys carry. Obviously you guys are a big Trek dealer. Yeah. You know, how is that, you know, Trek, you know, Trek is a Wisconsin company. Yeah. So how has that been for you guys in partner? Cause I know you, you partner with Trek on various things. Well, so, you know, we got Trek forever ago and it's been, I mean, they're like any of the big companies. They expect a lot out of you as well and they want you to represent their brand well. So I feel that we do that pretty well here. I mean, we're just shy of being a concept store, but once you become a concept store, you kind of, I feel, lose a little bit of your own identity. Yeah, for sure. So we stay Smith's bike shop, not Trek bikes of lacrosse, mm-hmm. but they definitely want you to, su- to succeed. So, you know, they have a, a, they call Trek world. You go down and to Madison and now it's seminars and before you'd see product and you learn about all this stuff, they basically give you every tool possible to become a better store and to become to stay relevant in your communities and just if you're failing at that it's because you just aren't trying anymore for sure so and then you know john burke rides bikes advocates for bikes he he donates money to nika to imba has a professional race team mountain bikes road bikes triathlons you know cyclocross cyclocross downhill cross country you name it they have it and it's it's all their stuff but they're they're trying to make the world a better place so which helps us want to make the world a better place you know yeah. so it's like 
it it's i don't know without without i don't i can't speak for a lot of the other big companies so i'm just going by what i believe and i believe that there's no other company that puts as much into trying to make bicycles and safer for bicycles than than trek it just i just don't see that happening sure. I, I don't know that there's another company that really tries as hard to set their dealers up for success than this company either. Yeah. One of the things, and this is a few years ago now, or a couple of years ago is when it comes to making cycling a better place, Trek was probably from what I can remember, one of the first companies to really push on being visible when you're riding. Oh yeah. You know, they, you know, every, you know, there was, you know, obviously there was blinky taillights and blinky headlights, but Trek really, up the bar in terms of that visibility during the day. They definitely push it. So they have, at the time, the the, the light you're speaking of is like what's called a, a flare R. And uh, it was just this, just a tail light, but it had a sequence of the way it blinked. And it, it had a 45 lumen pop that was super bright. And there's there's brighter lights out there, but Trek just, we got to make this safer, you know, dry riding your road bike out on the road these days, or just riding your commuter bike to the grocery store. There's so many distractions for drivers. They got those cell phones and whatever. They're not paying attention. So their whole process has become the biggest distraction on the road. You know, wear brighter clothes, have your moving parts be brighter and have this daytime running lights. They that's what they're calling them and, and it just pops and you can see these things you can see them up to two miles away so you're out on the highway and for instance i was picking up a friend who broke his bike on a, a group ride and another friend you know knew we were coming so he went to try to catch the group so we pick we pick him up and we're driving in it's kind of still light out but it's on that starting to get darker and down the road, you see this red light just bright. I'm like, man, there's a motorcycle up there. And as we got closer and closer, I'm like, it's not a motorcycle. That's, that's my friend Tostin. He's up there with his, his light just popping. And we're like, holy cow. I mean, it's real. It, yeah. it, it's, you see these lights. And becoming visible is important, especially on the road or in the town, because you need to see where you're going. And people need to see you. So you don't get crushed by a vehicle or whatever. And for sure. And there's even and other companies have, have gone beyond that um, with like a radar style systems yeah. that will help detect cars and, and see you. But but Trek definitely has been on the front line of visibility and safety. Yeah. So in your, you know, 20 plus years, probably in the bike industry, how are, how, how have you seen things change both on the mountain bike side and the road side, you know? Road, obviously, there's not as much to change, but I think there's been some pretty dramatic changes with the road bikes, well, especially in geometry. But then the mountain biking, obviously, that's really come a long ways. So from my first mountain bike as a GT Karakoram in 1992 to now, it's, I mean, all high-end mountain bikes and high-end higher, they're, it's, it's carbon fiber now. You know, before it was aluminum, um, possibly titanium. You can yeah. still get some really nice steel stuff, but if if you're into racing or into, you don't even have to race. High performance. High performance. You just want to go, it's, you got carbon fiber. So they're able to change the geometries and just make them lighter weight, stiffer, do things 
to them to just make them perform much, much better. Suspension has changed on mountain bikes so much over the years from the old Shrek 9200, yeah. which is basically this big elastomer spring that, you know, if you hit a bump, it's going to eject you over the handlebars to the stuff that's now where the, you know, angles, I mean, it, it, it's mountain biking hasn't been around that long. So it's been a learning curve this entire time. And, you know, people try this and that and slowly get to better geometry, the better performance, a better experience. So you're out there and it's like, wow, that was a ton of fun. I can't wait to go again to the guys that are way high end level, way geek out on this stuff. And then they can because the equipment lets you. Yeah. So, and on the road bikes, just when you, just when you think, what could they possibly do to make things better? They do. And you're just like, how, how did they do this? And, um, but I guess if, if things stayed the same as they did in the eighties, well, everybody would already have all their bikes and they'd still be riding these, not taking any way. They were cool old bikes, but the position that some of these people would have to ride their bikes in my hands and my back, everything hurts just thinking about it. Yeah. And now you, you can get out there and be comfortable. That's it. You know, making people comfortable. One of the bigger things we hear here, here, here is. Used it, right? I don't want to bend over. I, I don't want to be bent over and feel like I did when I was younger. So they answer those calls. They make it so it's a, an actual geometry for what the majority of people need now. So making the bike fit the person instead of being a person having to fit the bike. They they tweak things and technology. I mean, it changes. Next year, there'll be a whole other line of things that yeah. you just shake your head and be like, I can't believe they did it again. They, this could, is all companies. I yeah. mean, they all, they all do this and it, they just, the purpose is to get people out, have fun and they just keep tweaking these things. And it's amazing. Yeah. So early on in this discussion, you had talked about um, wanting to be involved in the community as, as a business, as a store. What are some of the things you've been involved with? with the community. I know you're involved with beer by bike brigade and that's a whole animal in itself. Yeah, that is, that's a silly bar hop as the, the guy who started it would say, Yep. but he, he does a, a lot for the community and we just, we just team up with him. You know, it's, he, it's a fun event. It's, it's nothing this year because of a certain situation that's going on in the planet. Once a month through the summer, they would have, a bar hop and they would go to these establishments pre-planned. So he didn't just overwhelm a place so they could staff up, but he, it started off with six to 10 people. Now they're going to get two to 400 people. People come from out of town to be part of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so he does that. So they go to these businesses and they have awesome nights, those nights when they go and it's like, you're there for a certain amount of time. But beyond that, he does just different events to help pay off school lunch deficits helps with the the kids NICA program uh just tons of other community needs and um super humble guy too but uh so we we do whatever we can to help him if he needs help with stuff we're there us yeah. there's, a, there's another store uh shop in town and we just we're always willing to help him out 
if he needs locks for the school program, we help facilitate that. Different deals on helmets, just anything. He's to haul something. Smith's yeah. is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, getting, raising money for diapers and whatever for um, wafer and different community outreach places that need this stuff. Here's the van. We're loaded up. Let's get it going. It's 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 never a, a maybe. It's like, yeah, what do you need? What do you need? Yeah. We're going to help you out with this. And it's it's super fun. Actually, it's a ton of fun. I mean, you see the the look on people's faces. That's it. You see this look of gratitude and just like, thank you. You know, and it's like, that's why we do that stuff. It's it's um it's fun to sell bikes. It's fun to talk bikes. It's fun to ride bikes. But really my best days at this store are when I'm talking to somebody about the bikes that they want or the needs that they have. And you figure out the, the right steps and they're actually engaged in what you're talking about. And, you know, you get this in some instances, you get a hug at the end, which is awesome too, but it's, it's, um, it's in some instances, it's, it's really is saving their life or somebody in their family's lives because they're able to do something or get something that wasn't available. Other things that we do, there's, um, a concert series down at Riverside Park. It's, uh, called Moon Tunes, local bands throughout the area donate their time to go play concerts in the park. Um, basically trying to raise money for other nonprofits, nonprofits. And needy situations yeah so you know three years ago maybe four years ago right around the time we shortly after we bought the store um us with beer by bike and the blue steel bike decided to put a bike corral down there so i mean there's no parking really downtown so especially riverside especially riverside park so we're like well let's build a a bike valet service people can ride their bikes we're gonna sit there and we're gonna give them a ticket mark their bikes, put it in this corral so they don't have to worry about it. That way they don't have bikes laying all over where people are trying to watch this music. And they're not going to get stolen. And they're not going to get stolen. So Thursday nights throughout the summer, we set up this valet area. And while I'm still working, I'm listening to music. I'm talking to people. It's one of my favorite nights of the week Mm because I like listening to music and I like talking to people. But, um, we're watching these bikes and they're safe and yeah, it's, it's, we get up to, I think our most bikes we've had in there is 125, 140 bikes in there, yeah. which is, that's as full as we can get. And it's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. So that's probably at some nights, it might be even half the people that showed up or yeah. more. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, came on bike. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and all the local bands, I mean, it's, it's, there's good music and it's a good time. Um, they built a new, band shell down there with the money raised and it's awesome and honestly 2021 should hopefully be a much much better year and uh we haven't yeah. had any moon tunes this year hoping to get that going in again next year it's um that kind of i really miss being down there um other things we've done there's aura the outdoor recreational alliance um we've been involved with that pretty much since it started it was before it even started as Aura. It was yeah. this HPT. We've been part of that. My wife is way into it. I just work on trails. <laughs> she does a lot of other stuff with it. 
He's yeah, the, a lot of the admin and the admin and leadership side. Leadership for sure. She keeps things rolling. She's a she's definitely a go getter, a doer. So she helps with that, and it's you can tell that she's now involved because she pushes. Yep. She does not let things dwaddle in the the wayside much. And then there's events. There's always events going on most years where we're at there doing SAG for this event or bike checks for that event and bike rodeos, bike rodeos at schools. At schools. Um, and yeah, we, you know, probably three to five schools throughout the spring. Usually the spring we're doing quick bike checks and yeah, basically anything, anything people really want us for. We you try to make, to it out. we try to make it happen some way or another. Yep. Just, it's what you do. You know, you're building, you're building customers by doing it, but it's, it's see again, seeing the face on these people when they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about aura a little bit. Let's talk about, we'll, move, we'll transition into trails. Cause you know, Eric early on talked about how he eventually found out how to get to the trails here in lacrosse and not have to go to Winona. Right. Right. Um, so let's talk about some of the early years. You know, there's, there is two places specifically that events happened because there wasn't, a, you know, we're talking a time mid to late nineties when there wasn't uh, any really legal access on public land here in lacrosse, you know? So you mm-hmm. guys went to Bluebird Springs campground and Sugar Creek Bible camp. Let's yeah. talk about Bluebird and Sugar Creek independently. Cause you kind of ran two different things going on there. Right. So when I, when I moved here, I, I didn't race mountain bikes. I was a BMX rat and uh, Smith's had already had, a wars race going out at Bluebird Springs, which I didn't even know existed when I moved here. But the, they, they had their first one. Probably, I, I probably lived here already. And um, this is a campground northeast of town. <laughs> it was pretty awesome, honestly. But we built trails there. They had some fire road style trails. But um, we would build link ups with single track and mm-hmm. find areas to send you through had two crick crossings that i remember oh yeah um you did have two brothers that owned this facilities out there and they would battle it out with each other on whether or not we can use this land or that land but you know i showed up out there to help at one of the wars races uh, the second year they had it and i was like wow this is kind of amazing i think i might have to try racing the amount of people this was kind of back in the wars uh glory days when they would yeah. get a thousand riders at you know our race here in lacrosse we get a thousand riders and it was always said to be too hard <laughs> oh yeah because we had, ele- we had elevation and climbing and, and steep down and steep down it was good single track and um i remember tra- uh, travis brown raced our first year and destroyed the whole field which i would have expected but he's in a riding wheelies just having such a good time you know, that place every year we'd go out and cause that's where we got the mountain bike. I mean, yeah. there was rogue style trails in our, our normal bluffs, but out there is where we actually had stuff that we built. Yeah. I and mean, you didn't have to worry about somebody telling you you couldn't be there. Right. Um, so we'd build new sections and, uh, and we'd go ride it and it would be super fun. And, you know, and, um, if storms would come, we'd go clear out the trails and, and it was, it was a lot of climbing, holy buckets, like fire roads. And then they were never smooth. And there's usually some horse movement out there as well. So you yeah, have so a little bit of rough Well, at race day, from, they would uh, from put the horse horses hopes. in the gate, but you still had to run through their field up this one section for sure. 
which had some old day steep fall line style trails that you'd be climbing up in your granny gear standing hoping that god your lungs don't blow up and then just this is a pre-50 plus tooth cog yeah <laughs> yeah right and you you know i remember the, the one washout that you'd climb up to and just bomb down this which we would never do now we might do it but it's more of a <laughs> not officially <laughs> not officially right but it's just a, a washout and that's where the trail went and it would be just like holy buckets hold, hold on kind of yeah with old cantilever brakes this is like well i guess b brakes maybe no disc brakes of any kind and 26 inch wheels 26 inch wheels narrow tires. 63 mil, you know millimeters of travel long front stems and just bombing this stuff but um yeah it was it was awesome out there it really was and, and even when it got stupid muddy and our brand new trails were totally destroyed yeah you know but it was it rained uh, so hard yeah and the creek crossing was three times the size it should have been <laughs> and then the the owners had to pull everybody out of the parking lot with their tractors with their tractors because nobody was moving that was an event yeah yeah that was fun so that was the the venue that you'd host wars races, which are more of the traditional cross country yeah. style races that you'd know of today. Yeah. Um, one of the other race series is here in Wisconsin is the WEMS series, which is the Wisconsin Endurance Mountain Bike Series. Yep. And pre public trails here in La Crosse, you guys would go to Sugar Creek Bible Camp. Sugar Creek Bible Camp, which is about an hour away, I want to say, from an hour south of La Crosse. If you're if you're at South La Crosse, it's about yeah, an hour. Correct. So you would go out there. They they came. This is. Uh, I think Dan Nova uh, pre WEMS there where we had just regular XC races out there. Okay, so we had um we would try to do a spring race and a fall race, so have like the first race of the year and the last race of the year. Um, so and uh, we would go out there and work on trails. Um, back then Dan Novak worked here, and so we'd have he would be out there and they it this races had been happening there. So we'd have these courses again, just crazy, uh, crazy trails, fire roads, some single track. We started building the single track. We started building the bridges that they had. Mm -hmm. Steep topography. Yeah. Steep. Like the main climb, we'd start and we'd go up this climb and it was the wall. The was just steep. It's just, Holy man. And if you made it for me back then, if I could make it up to the top, I was so happy, you know, and it didn't happen every time. So we'd started there and in the spring, you're never sure on what the weather was going to be. I remember racing and having flurries, you know, and then a little bit of snow. Yeah. So we did that for a few years, actually a bunch of years. We never, I mean, it was never about making money at this thing. It was about having an event. They took care of us so well there. They just wanted people there. So like you go in there and you could get chilly and it's so much food they had. Um, eventually it turned into just one, one race instead of two, because at the end of the season, we almost didn't get anybody and it was just starting to fall apart on that side. So we still ran it for a few years in the spring, but then like you were saying earlier, the, the WEM series have an endurance series. So it's, it's based on laps. Like there's a three hour event, a six hour and a 12 hour at the time. So we're like. I think this would be a fantastic place for that. So, you know, talking to the owners of Sugar Creek, we wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And people would ha- be camping and um, 
and they were cool with it. So, and, and at this time we'd built a lot of new single track out there. A lot of it that like, um, like Pete from blue dog still uses for his camp blue dog stuff. Um, they built more since then we, you know, bridges over creeks and just sections. And I, I can, I envision it in my head right now, just some of these sections that were so fun that I haven't ridden in years now. Yeah. So we had, we were going to have a, a WEMS race and we were super excited about this. And the first year, you know, we, we had the timing all set up. We had prizes for everybody. It was going to be fantastic. And then like always, we get this crazy storm and it basically <laughs> had to cancel our first year. Like we'd watch the Crick raise like five feet in storms. We'd be like, ugh. We we're trying to come up with a way to have a loop and it just wasn't going to happen. So we had to cancel the first year. So the next year we had it and it was awesome. We had a bunch of people. It was a hard course. The guys who did 12 hours, they had, I mean, they're up this, this wall and that's not the only climb at this place. That's just the hardest climb at this place. They, I mean, they'd be going, they had to do 12 laps. Ah, ouch. But everybody had a great time. And I, I don't remember if we had two actual races out there before we moved the WEMS race to HPT. Because at this time, we our, our trail system in Lacrosse was growing differently. We had a, a new access to an area that some people had finally got going. They worked really hard to get this area open, and and, and honestly, the city couldn't believe their idea. Yeah, on where they were planning to do this, and they're like, "You're gonna do what?" <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. So running you know, out of Sugar Creek, it, it's an amazing venue and it should have more races out there because they want more races out there. The one problem there is, is that it is a Bible camp. They have campers all summer. So our window of time for events were on the bookends of their season. Yep. And then we weren't allowed to go ride there any Anytime other time. Week. So you had to. You had to go, like, as we're working on the trails up to the race, we would ride the trails. So, we got about three weeks of when we're working on this stuff. The day of the event, you get to ride the trails. After that, you don't get to ride the trails. So, it was it was kind of hard to justify the hour commute there to work on trails so much and then not get to ride there more than the little bit that we got to. So, that's one of the reasons that we decided to move venues out of there to our current location of where we were having them, the race. Yeah, but I'd, I'd go back down there. I, you know, as uh, this year was a little weird for events, obviously. Um, Camp Blue Dog still happened. Yep. In a different styling. But, you know, Pete does a great job with that. It's killer, honestly, in this in in the whole country, but in the Midwest specifically. We actually have one more day of it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you were saying we had one day that got rained out. And so we're moving the, you know, we moved it to the end of August. And so the little kids, the five, five to probably eight or nine year olds will be out there tomorrow. Yeah. They're so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Just, and that's, that's honestly one of the things I miss most of this year was our short track series. Oh, yeah. We didn't even get on that. Yeah. Um, Another community based event. Yeah. We, uh, up at our trails, human power trails, upper Hickson. We just do a, a free event. It's a, a short track event uh, just just to get people up at the trails, which at this year, you didn't have to fight to get people up at the trails at all. No. Um, but we'd have uh, three different, well, 
started off two different races. We changed it to three, um, like a, a kid's race. Well, there was always a kid's race. Then we had a, a four lap race and a six lap race up there. And it's just, it was hard. You'd go all out on this pretty easy loop, but it was perfect for like a short track style event. But you get the the Nike kids, they'd have to, if they're in middle school, they were basically, we had them limited to the the, th- the four lap race, but we, we have changed it. So it's like a, a kid's loop for small kids, like uh, my daughter's age, she's four up to like elementary school kids and you know, that kind of thing. But we had a four lap, which we've, and we had a five lap and a six lap. The six lap is where like you and myself and like Josh Ivey and these more experienced riders, racers would go really pretty stinking fast. But we had a bunch of people that were intimidated by that and didn't want to get in the way. And then they started not coming. So we, then we introduced a five lap, which you, myself, and these other people cannot race. We, if we're there, we have to race the six. Yeah. So we had this jump from the four lap to the five lap guys, which worked fantastic. And the four lap turned into this more of a beginner style thing. But which we've now changed to a three lap because some of the beginners were quite beginner and having a 45 minute four lap race turned out to be a little long because we only run them each separately. So yeah, and we it's a night after work. So yeah. So it starts at like five thirty, six o'clock. You're limited by daylight. So we would get the, the parking lot would be full. I would say with the people that were up there for this event, that was only a third of the people that were up at the trails that night. We also have the pump track right there. Yeah. So you have all these kids riding the pump track, all these adults riding the pump track. You have all the little kids like my daughter and your daughter and other kids playing in the dirt pile, figuring out how to use the water spigot to just (laughs) make mud in this pile. So we'd be looking at my, well, kids being kids are just, and it's like none of that happened this year, but that was one of the the better nights of the week for sure. Just the amount of people up there, people cooking out food and yeah, just hanging out. And so what was the cost of entry for that? Zero. Zero cost of entry. Yeah, they could, they what could, did you get in return? Friends. Ice cream. Oh yeah. Yeah. We did have ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So we'd bring ice cream up. We had, we bought this cool little cooler and we did, we did have to have a guard of the ice cream because let's just say kids, elementary and middle school kids like to sneak over and, take more than they're supposed to whatever it was fun but yeah they were, uh it was really funny yeah. but you know it's all all the kids it didn't matter if they were more into like say downhill stuff or anything it's like they just want to go out and do laps and it's like the amount of people that we would have at the lap circle area where we count the laps for the kids i mean we'd have 15 people sitting there just watching cheering kids on and and even the adults as we're coming by and it was super fun you know, sure. it's like just to see the determination of some of these kids' faces because they, they, I'm making the three laps today. This is, you know, and, and seeing the growth of some of these kids who started there and who are now on the high school NICA team and just seeing them change through this whole process was like, makes me feel a little old, but it's like somebody's going to take over our spot someday for sure and it's these kids who have started already you know we're still ride at a pretty high level but we're going to get bumped off 
Some yep. kids already are starting to get right there. And um, it's fun being one of the old guys at the trail, but still be able to hold our own and actually still be looked upon as like, wow, these are the guys. But these, some of these kids are, they're coming, they're coming for us. And it's, yeah, they better come for us because someone's got to, and I can't wait. Some of them are even your employees. That's true. That is true. Some of them are. And then they, they break themselves. Yeah. Matthias, that kid's, he's pretty stinking fast. Yeah. But like our daughters, you know, our kids, there's a whole group of them. I think there was something in the water where there's, a vast majority of these small children are girls. Yeah. <laughs> At <laughs> Which, the same age bracket. Yeah. They're all right there. And we're going to have a year or two of each other. Yeah. they're And they're all, most of them are like, you can see it in their faces that it's game on. It's like, we want to play. We want to ride our bikes and we're not scared. Yeah. And it, which scares me a little bit, but I'm also super excited about it, but they just feed off each other too. Yep. You know, and there, there'll be a handful of girls riding the pump track before on their striders in princess dresses. Oh, yeah. And it's just the way it was. Oh, dirty, now they're pedaling Dirty by. princess dresses. <laughs> yes. It's, just, it's, it's like, all right, princess dress. And this is what we're doing. And they're yep. just ripping. And then, the, the honestly, the, the boys in this group, they're going to have to catch up because some of these girls are going to be the ones. They're oh, yeah. going to be the fast ones for sure later on. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Upper Hicks and HPT and kind of how that came about. You know, we, I think it was around 2000, 2001 when some people went to the city leaders of lacrosse to ask for a public place to go yeah. ride. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, Bob Marhefke was in this group, Ralph Heath. Yep. There are others. And those are the only two I really know, but they really pushed for getting us real access to real trails instead of the rogue stuff we were riding. Which we never maintained because we just didn't. Why invest? Yeah. So they went up and walked the area with the cities. There was horse trails up there already, and they'd be like, "Well, I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, we can make this happen." And you know, I remember, I remember Bob telling a story about, um, "Yeah, I, I, I'm going down there," and they'd be like, "What? Yeah, that's where we're gonna do go and." Uh, so that's how it started. You know, we started, they flag it out and figured out a section. And, you know, our first trail that we built was Obi-Wan, the old Obi-Wan. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember bringing up my, my older kids, you know, Ethan and Jager and Anaya and they'd be, well, that, you know, Ethan was probably into what, well, 2001, he was just, he was just born. And, but I remember bringing him out to Sugar Creek. He was working on trail with his plastic rake yeah. and stuff, but that's, they were in there since it started building some of those old trails and uh so it's it's been it's been fun being here for the whole process you know not coming here to something that already existed but being Mm -hmm. one of the people who got dirty you know like some of these guys who put in a lot of work figuring out where these trails were going because that's that's kind of the hardest part really is you can look at this woods and then figuring out where you want to go. I mean, there's guys like Chris Ames, Kevin Lavoda, Tostin Dio, Bob, Dan Lukey, all these guys. Yeah. We're hiking, looking at things, figuring out lines. And, and you know, it's some of these areas look a lot different now because the weather's destroyed it. And we've had Rock Solid come in and just help us out with it. Well, build a whole new area, which is fantastic. But some of the old stuff still there, still the original lines. 
you know, and it's going to stay there too. And it's going to stay there, you know, and, um, it's, we have, we have something for everybody for sure. Yeah. And, uh, with, especially the new trails now we're finally got decent green level loops for beginner kids. I, I mean, my daughter who's four can ride this trail now. She can ride a lot of the other stuff too, but it's like now there's more for them to do more for these younger kids. Cause that's, you need it. You know, for us as advanced riders, you know, we're like, we still want a challenge. We still want stuff that scare us a little bit, yeah. but you need the stuff to get people involved, to get them into the trail. And, and we've done that here. Um, especially with the topography that we have, we have so much vertical, um, not a lot of flat areas that other communities have where you're able to then make awesome winding, twisty, flowy beginner style trail. And so our beginner style trail is still a little more difficult than other communities, but you know, our kids start so young, they're pushing their bikes and push bikes instead of pedal bikes. So, they're not scared. They're nosing their wheels in with the big kids. You know, they look, oh, it's my turn. They just dive right into some of this stuff. And you're just like, wow, these kids got it figured out. And, um, yeah, and it's just going to grow. It's just, we're in a, we're in a really, I mean, back then it was a great spot because we finally got real trails. Yeah. And we had, we grew and grew and grew for this area. And then it stopped for a long time. We had our area. Some things happened with some stupid legislation that we weren't able to expand into areas that we thought we were going to be able to. And then you fast forward a little ways to the last three years. Yeah, probably five. Five. Yeah, I suppose. Um, but then there's a, a, another small group. So it was started as HPT, Human Powered Trails. Yeah. And that was an organization. You know, there was the key members of that that really helped push things along. Uh, they eventually they changed the name to Outdoor Recreation Alliance, Aura. And then that's evolved to even where it's at now. Um, but there's always been a couple key people that really push the envelope. You know, and, and in recent years, it's really, it's been you and um, like Jed Olson. And, yep, and for sure. you know, really pushed it to this and bringing in the new modern style of trails and and realizing not everybody wants an xc tight single track trail they need some of this other flowy kind of jump line sort of stuff and just other modern trails and really brought it that direction while still keeping the legacy style old school stuff and so there's there is something for everything here and it's we got a whole new section that's opening up soon and after that, you know, it's 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 just going to keep expanding because the city sees the need for this trail system. Yeah, and, the community sees it. Yeah, it's like it's growing so fast, and it's um, I mean, it, it obviously it's, it's great for business, but it's it's more uh, people outside. If they're not sitting behind a screen, they're not on their tablets, they're not on their phones playing with stupid games they're outside and even even hiking the trails just walking the trails it's fantastic because it's they're maintained really really well so it's just i don't know every day you're up there you see so many people and it's just so fun i it's it's always fun i unless i'm riding at 5 30 in the morning 
my ride extends much longer than it was supposed to be because I'm talking to so many people on the trail. Yes. Yeah. It's rare when I tell my wife that I'll be just gone for an hour and a half or two hours, especially if it's in the middle of the day or at night. It's rare that it goes that because you pull over and talk to whoever about to whatever. Whoever. And, and especially this year, especially this year when yeah. you don't get to see as many people. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you're standing you're six to eight feet away from somebody that you hadn't seen all summer and you just talk, talk, talk. You're like, wow, I miss Wednesday night single track or short track. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then you just travel to other areas just because you get then get the, because of your experiences, you, you want to go experience other community stuff. And then, so we're getting people from all over the Midwest that For come sure. to our trails, just like we're going to their trails. So it's just fluid. It's, you're always going. Yeah. So speaking of people traveling to other trails, we're going to transition into the bonus content. Eric traveled to a different place far, far away. Known far, as far away. Marquette, Michigan. So, okay. Okay. So let's, let's, we're going to rewind a little bit. Okay. So there's, uh, there's this other area code 906. And, um, that's up Marquette, Michigan, that area. So this, this guy up there, he puts on some events. And, uh, one of them being Margie Gessick, one of them, which we've all gone up and attempted and done some of it. Yeah. Um, we have a friend, his name's Dan Lupke, totally off the rails, definitely needs some therapy, but he loves these endurance events like Arrowhead and other stuff that you just look at him like, why? I've always been more of a short, XE, fast paced kind of guy. Um, so, so you guys all went up. Let's back up. He went up and did the 100 mile Margie Gessick once. And this is, they pride themselves on not having finishers of this event. Yeah. It's that hard. So he does this, a handful of other guys, the next year, you yourself included and, and, and Roger and some other people go up and you're going to do the 50 mile version of that while Dan's still doing the hundred. And you guys come back about, ah, I bailed on that year and um, how this was so hard. It was like, hot that year too. It, it was, was like hot. 90 degrees. It was just, it's just some stuff. You're talking about the stuff you had to climb up. You're, you're, you're hiking inside the woods versus the trail because it was easier. Yeah. And I'm like, that does not sound fun to me. But I still register for the next year, as did all you guys. Mm-hmm. So we go up that year and, and uh, the, the mindset is finishing the 50 miles. So we go in and, and you rock the crap out of the 50 miles that year. I finished, I did my goal. I wanted to finish this ride. And um, I was trashed. At the it end, was I was, it was fun. It was like you see these awesome, this whole other community that's similar to ours putting on this crazy event. Um, so roll ahead a couple of years. Uh, I did not finish the 50 this last year. Dan does what's called the out and back version of this, which is doing the whole 100 course backwards and then forward. I don't believe I don't believe you were able to finish the hundred last year. No, I pulled the plug after I finished the first fifty because I figure I've done it all and now in yeah. separate years. <laughs> so so you know it's like going after last year being kind of demoralized, but then seeing these determination of these people who are going to finish. As I'm sitting in the way area, the you know the the park, waiting for Dan to come in to help support him, and you're seeing again that face. 
of determination and excitement and fear, fear. <laughs> um, so we sign up for the Margie, you know, the next year it, it, it comes up. This thing sells out in three minutes with like 666 people. It's how fast it sells out. And yeah. a handful of us got in again, you know, we're set and we're ready and we got in for the hundred and we're like, Holy buckets. What do we just do for me? I need to get my head wrapped around being able to finish these tough events. My skill level, my fitness is always there, but it's mental. That was my problem. So I, I figured I need to work on that. Well, they have another event called the Polar Roll, which is their fat bike event. Everyone's all oh, the, the, they're registering for this. I'm like, heck with that. I hear about this event. People end up walking because they can, it's Marquette, Michigan. They can get tons of snow. And mm-hmm. by the end of the day, after everyone else registers in the morning, I talk to Randy. I'm like, you want, you want to do it? They have a short version and the longer version. I, I, you know, if, if it's going to suck, we'll know we don't have to do it. But if it's going to be good, we can do it. Okay. We sign up. All right, I'm signed up for the Polar Roll and the Margie 100. Well, they also have what's called the Crusher, which is typically goes from Copper Harbor to Marquette, this adventure gravel race slash ride. But they also have their Triple Crown. This is they have three events. If you complete the hardest of all the events, then you're in the their Hall of Pain, and once you're in this, you're in it, and then get invited to a, a secret event. Only the people of this Hall of Pain get invited to, but you're their lifetime. So I'm signed up for two events and I'm like, all right, talk to Dan a little bit about doing the Crusher, which, mind you, scares me more than the other two events, like hands down, because that's not my style. Riding for 225 miles straight isn't my cup of tea. We sign up, COVID happens, they change the way their event is. It's no longer from copper harbor to marquette it's this crusher ex oh i mean it's always been self-supported that's the way it is but it starts in marquette ends in marquette you have eight checkpoints you have to get through you have to navigate your stuff there's one town you go through in this whole thing at about 140 miles so you have to filter your water have enough food have enough mental capacity to get through this thing and um so I was nervous. I mean, I'm like, am I going to be able to ride enough? Am I going to be able to get in shape? Am I going to be mentally strong enough to get through this thing? So so Dan and I are doing this. I'm talking to Tost, and he's been interested in this event for a couple of years. We finally get him on board. So he starts riding. And when Tostin starts riding, everybody's legs get ripped off. <laughs> so we're getting our stuff ready. I'm trying to figure out what bike I'm going to ride. I get some bags made for my Trek Super Caliber, which is an amazing bike. And Lukey, the super strong mental capacity of this whole thing, is not in shape. He yeah, hasn't he quit riding ride. this year. He doesn't ride. Well, he, he's remodeling a house. He's remodeling a house. But he he put so much into riding last year that um I get taking a break. Yeah. So he's like, oh, we got to push the date where we're going to do this. We're going to do it the 8th of August. Mm-hmm. All right. So we push it out three weeks to the 22nd. And I mean, we're, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Tossing as ready as he's going to be. I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. And, and, and Dan has decided to let's back up just a smidge. Margie gets canceled for this year. Yeah. So I'm not going to get my 
three races this year of this to Hall of Pain. No big deal. I'm going to go up. I'm going to have a great time, Margie Weekend. I'm going to ride trails that I don't get to normally ride just for fun. The Crusher has an event inside the event. So the Crusher this year is a 225-mile loop, which is the main event. They have a 100-mile version, a 40-mile version. Then they have a couple of runs mixed in. There's a 100-mile run and a 50-mile run. So if you complete the 225-mile bike, the 100-mile bike, the 40-mile bike, and the 50-mile run, you get this pretty cool sculpted award of a fist. So they call this the fist. No way am I doing this. Dan tells me we're doing this. And <laughs> the I'm guy like, that's been remodeling his house. Uh, yeah, the guy who hasn't done anything all summer, but remodel his house. So he's he's I'm like, what? I'm like, you know there's a 50 mile run involved. Yeah. Oh, I already talked to Jake, Jake Hagee, who's on the show. Um, getting a training program together. So he starts doing this. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> first 225 miles which is really 250 miles yeah scares me they don't quite know how to add miles yeah they don't cat. know it's it's never short it's always long and it's always harder so 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 he go he starts training a little bit a little too hard for what i think so his knee gets a little jacked up so his knees he's like already coming from the couch to ride 250 miles and now he's got an injured knee we're not sure he's going to make it through. He doesn't know. So in my mind, I'm like, it's two things. One, I really need Dan in this with me and Tostin because he is mentally just very strong with this type of event. But if he doesn't finish it, he's not going to do these other ones to get this. I'm not going to have to ride 100 miles. Actually, I don't care. 40 miles, which I don't care, but a 50 mile run, I kind of care about because I don't, <laughs> I've never run that far. Let's be real. We're not running. 50 miles. We're going to be, <laughs> if we run 10 miles total, I will be impressed. Yeah. Brisk hike. So we, we go up there last Friday, Friday, the 21st of August. And, uh, we get our beacons to track us. We're all set. We get our food all set. We buy these 17 ounce pasties two of them each and we got i mean we're loaded you have a camelback with 100 ounces of fluids and you're carrying everything you got and uh wake up in the morning and we eat our breakfast we load it up we go to forestville to start and we go we hit start and we start two miles in you get to the first major hiccup not really hiccup but it's like called hogback and this is an actual mountain climb and not just like a mountain climb, you're pedaling your bike and mountain climb, like you're climbing up a mountain. Like we could be two feet of distance, but you're six feet higher than I am. I'm handing you my bike that's weighs now 50 plus pounds and we're climbing to the summit of this thing. And it, it was awesome. You finally, we get to the top, you get your picture of yourself at the checkpoint one and, and you're just like, that was stupid. <laughs> but awesomely stupid. Then you got to climb back down the other side, which takes just as long as getting up. And you finally get down and then you roll to, what I believe it's called top of the world. The, the opposite way that they would do for Margie guessing. 
So you're climbing up that same hike a bike kind of thing up there. And then there's a drum circle going on up there. There's all these dudes camping up there and having a party. And it's, it's well, this time it's eight in the morning because it just took us an hour and a half to climb hogback. And you're four miles in. And we're four miles in. <laughs> these guys are like, hey, man, what's going on? And we're like, wow, hey, guys, what's happening? You know, and we get going and they're having a great time. And then finally we're rolling. We get to some actual gravel roads. but two hours in we're averaging two miles an hour you know <laughs> because of the hikes so we're but that's really the most dramatic of the whole race but if you can't make that then you just you need to stop because it's you have to be willing to suffer and get yourself through it and follow your navigation stay on top of your food and your hydration you know and then you go to each of the checkpoints and the next checkpoint is this spigot this roadside spigot so mind you there's a lot of preparation before this event like they give you the gps coordinates of the um of the of the each of the checkpoints so you plug it in and you make waypoints on your garmin and you're figuring out where the stuff is so you you can find it so we find this spigot, you get your picture at that's This is the first time we filter our water for, you know, to go on, which was the first time I've used filtered water, but we have your nutrition put in the water. So it's, it was awesome. It was pretty cool. And then we go to the next one, which is a, a snowplow. Where is the snowplow? I don't remember. Out in the middle of nowhere. It's out in the middle of nowhere. You're, you don't know where you are. And there's some, there's some actual road sections, some decent gravel sections. And then there's really crappy gravel sections and then some old washouts and ATV trails and overgrown this. But you you get to see some just beautiful scenery that you never would have seen. You just wouldn't ever see it. It was, why would you drive out there to see this stuff? Um, How would you drive out there to see it? Some of it, some of it you could. And there's people, I mean, you see the amount of people we actually saw on this yeah. whole tour was amazing. Everybody's super friendly. But you're into some areas where you have no cell service. You have your GPS tracker. I had this uh, Garmin tracker that I was able to send messages to Randy to let her know that we got to these checkpoints. So she could track us that way. And the track leader's website, which had beacons so we, you could see where we're at. Um, but there's nobody out there to give you hand ups. There's nobody out there to fix your bike. There's nobody out there to feed you. Well, you brought Tostin with the fix. We had, well, we are all very, very able people to do that. So then, uh, let's see, then you're up to Arvon. You're climbing these climbs that are pretty ridiculous to this mailbox. So you get your picture there. And then the next one is where the Huron River goes to Lake Superior. And you cross, and mind you, 10 miles into this thing, you cross this creek and your feet are soaked at mile 10 for the duration of your adventure as then you get to the, a section where there's a, a beaver had um made a, a dam in front of a culvert which may and now made this pond where you're crossing a 40 yards pond so you're carrying your bike through this thing again soaked feet isn't it isn't it sprinkled a little bit at one point but really we had awesome weather it was a little humid but it was awesome you get to lake superior beautiful you cross the Huron River and uh, ate some more food, you know, and, you know, mind you, we, we filtered water again. I don't remember where we filtered water again. But then from that uh, Huron, it was basically a paved road 
all the way to the town called Lons, I believe. But if you get there before 10, there's a subway there. If you get there before midnight, there's still a gas station that's open. Well, we missed subway and we got there for the gas station and we just sat there. And at that point, we had some personal pizzas that were pretty decent. It was dark. And we're at that point ready to go on to uh, the night section of our ride, which was quite interesting. At three o'clock in the morning, we passed some rave in the woods. You hear this music and flashing lights and we're like, what the heck, Todd? We didn't get an invitation to the the rave in the middle of the woods. Yeah. You know, so we roll through that and um, daylight comes and you come to some other crossing. We refuel our water. It's called Mosquito Gulch. What the F? That's all I could think of is this. And the sand wasn't the hard part of climbing these washouts that was i mean it was hard but it wasn't a big deal once you get through these two sections then you see as far as your eyes can see a muddy jeep trail where it's like full-on mud off-road kind of trail crawling and you're just like okay and you hike through this you're not riding through this you're hiking through this so you don't get super muddy finally get through all that and then you're starting to ride again and in typical Todd fashion, he takes you past the finish line of an event and takes you another six miles out on this five mile long climb on a beat up paved road to only go through this sandy section and come through the back end of Forceville, which was pretty awesome. And you find the last checkpoint, which is a four by four card stapled to a tree chunky summit <laughs> and then you finish it and rogers are waiting you know he just just tossed and he did some benadryl he got stung in the face by a bee but you know we got through and and then these these three guys that did this me and tossing and dan and really didn't get to too bad of low spots middle of the night maybe we had a small section where it, which was the lowest point for probably all of us mentally but really was pretty good we laughed way more than we were not laughing on this whole adventure and uh got through it i heard you got through it based on providing yelp reviews yelp reviews for sure like not an invite to the the rave no coffee bar on the top of hogback yeah um i can't remember most of them at the we were gonna compile a list (laughs) so that we can give this to todd anyway we got through it and uh now i have the other three of this event to get through Yet in the next month and a half. Yeah, to get done before October 1st or by October 1st. So we'll get through it. It won't be a big deal. The walk will be fine. Um, (laughs) And then we'll get our stupid fist trophy and already signed up for next year's Margie so we can get through that aspect of it. Yeah. And um, then it can just go up there for fun. (laughs) For sure. Not that this stuff isn't fun. It's a different kind of fun. It's it, and I don't expect to do a 250 mile self-supported one time through without stopping kind of thing. But I have started to like the whole bi- bike packing idea more than I thought I would ever. Yeah, it was never really my cup of tea. And to do that course again, I would totally do it. But I would say do it in three days. Yeah, you know, you go and ride, and you you camp overnight, and then you just kind of do it that way would be totally totally more fun um 
you're definitely not going to be as sleep deprived. You will have to carry more equipment. Um, but we were up, we were up riding for 31 hours nonstop. There was no rest, no sleeping. I mean, we stopped to eat. Yep. But, uh, and refuel and, you know, bathroom and stuff. But, um, it was go. We were up for a long time and I am still pretty tired. Yeah, because we are now, what, five days out from your Five finish? days out, and I sleep very hard every night now. <laughs> and uh, just sore. Um, different soreness. Tingly fingers, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were some interesting saddle-style sores, which are gone now, but that happened. And some other things that probably aren't going to go on the podcast here, but oh yeah, we've talked about. It was fun. That's awesome. And there's other people going to go do it. And uh, they should. They yeah. should get out and do hard things. That's what he says. Do hard things. And, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Because if you do the same stuff all the time. You get what you, you get. You get what you get. But if you're willing to go outside of the box a little bit, you're going to see a lot more fun stuff out there. And find that you're able to do a lot more than than you thought. This This event was the hardest thing I've done. Mentally prepared myself. And now that I've gotten myself to this point of being able to do this. A lot of other things don't scare me anymore. Like I can do it. I can get yeah. through it and I will. And I, I plan to, I'm not, I'm not going to stop trying to do things. It's, it's just the beginning. And Dan, Dan Luke, going to come up with other bad ideas for me to try to do. And we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And Todd Paquette is yeah, he's is, a is in a whole different world of he's the master of puppets for sure. Of trying to come up with different ideas. Well, he's got he's another one. It's fifteen hundred miles, and I that's like a nine day event for that. There's well, just, what's funny is it started out as twelve hundred miles like a week ago. Yeah, right. Now it's he's like, well, might as well round it up. Yeah, you know. So but now it's, it's just, fifteen. It's probably really two thousand. It's well, that's what he says. It's just uh, it's just for fun. You just yeah, it's adventure. It's staying in the adventure um yep. as soon as you get stuck in the you know the circle of everyday life it's it's you lose it's fun you lose the adventure but if you this bike industry that we're in playing it's playing yeah you're, you're still a kid you're still playing as soon as you lose sight of outside playing what do you got nothing i mean you, you, you still gotta come things, back to but it you're just you're teaching the young to continue to play, to see that, yeah, you have to get responsible in life, but you can still play mm -hmm. all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Well, man, thank you very much for, yeah. uh, for giving me this time to interview you and we're going to, we're going to get this out and we didn't hit the Pete Taylor mark, but I don't know if anybody should. Well, that's a, that's a goal that only, I think it's only honestly, reserved for Pete. Pete's probably still sitting in a chair talking, thinking that you're there with him. He could be. He, is well, very him, he probably is. <laughs> that so, guy can tell a story. It's yeah. awesome. So, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for awesome, Eric. For bringing me on. And uh, coming up next, we're going to interview Eric, the other half of Smith's Bike Shop, Randy, the more important and, half. And that should also provide some interesting content. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. 
If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.